This episode of the Royal Ramble is dedicated to the memories of Dave Hebner and Tim White. I'm back. Did you miss me? Okay, well, I've only been gone for a week, but it seems like an eternity, doesn't it? I have missed a lot. What I did not miss, however, was the big impact pay-per-view last night. It was Slammiversary coming at us from the place the company all started, Nashville, Tennessee. So we've got a pretty big review on this show today, but before I even get to that, I want to address some of the big news stories of the week. Well, there were two big ones anyway, both of which had to do with the WWE. Vince McMahon is currently making headlines across the entire pro wrestling landscape, and not for any good reason. Allegations of sexual misconduct were directed at both Vince McMahon and his associate John Laurinaitis this past week, claiming that a female WWE employee whom they both had sexual relations with was paid a hefty sum of money to keep quiet. This person's identity has yet to be revealed, and I honestly don't think it ever will be but this is not the first time that McMahon has been under investigation. I'm sure many of us remember the Mike McGurk incident from all those years ago. I'm sure she does. But in this day and age, acts of this nature aren't the easiest to just sweep under the rug. I'll provide more details on this developing story in the Facebook group as they become available. The one thing that I didn't think was a particularly wise decision was Vince's appearance on SmackDown this past week, basically saying without saying that this is no big deal, which didn't exactly present him in a great light. The lighter piece of news that broke this week is that Brock Lesnar, much like myself, is back. He's back in the WWE and back to challenge Roman Reigns yet again for the umpteenth time at this year's SummerSlam event on July 30th in Nashville. This is becoming like a running joke. There is literally no reason, storyline or otherwise, for this match to happen. Reigns defeated Lesnar pretty decisively at WrestleMania this year, which you would think was the final conclusion of that story. It's time to move on, right? Wrong. They did this exact thing in the Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins feud where it felt like an energizer bunny that kept going and going and going. Not even the setup for the match was anything special. The difference between this and the Rhodes vs. Rollins feud is that all of Rhodes and Rollins' matches were at least different. This just feels like the exact same match on loop. Not even on the WWE's own Instagram post have I seen even one positive comment. They have a lot of work to do to make people care about any of this because I fear that as good as Roman is doing right now, the fans will turn on him in a heartbeat if this keeps up. Fans are just bored of the same old stuff year in and year out. The company has made it absolutely crystal clear that they are going to push Brock, Roman, Edge, Becky, Charlotte, and Ronda, period. Everyone else is just a supporting character that doesn't mean anything. I mean, I guess they have been pushing Cody and Seth lately, but who knows how long that'll last. So now that the negativity is out of the way, let's think more positive and focus on the pay-per-view that just happened. Let's talk about Slammiversary. I gotta say, I love this show from top to bottom. There were a lot of throwbacks and surprise appearances, which I'll get into. And there was a lot of great wrestling. And unlike WWE, I felt like the legends that were brought back for this did not outshine the current talent. It very much felt like the ECW One Night Stand pay-per-views, both of which I loved. 
And I think next week's Forbidden Door event will follow that same pattern. This one was a little different as it did advance several on-screen storylines as well, but I'm expecting the AEW and New Japan event next week to be much more similar to the One Night Stand shows in that it'll be purely based on entertainment value with very little storyline progression. I think it'll be more of a standalone event. So let's get to it, shall we? I did miss the pre-show, so I won't talk too much about that. Rich Swan defeated Brian Myers to hold on to his Digital Media Championship, and Sharkboy won the very lame Reverse Battle Royal. The main card kicked off with the match that I was most looking forward to. It was the six-way Ultimate X for the X Division title, featuring defending champion Ace Austin being challenged by Trey Miguel, Speedball Mike Bailey, Alex Zane, who much like Austin is fresh off his run in the Best of the Super Juniors tournament, Kenny King representing the Honor No More faction, and Andrew Everett, who was a last-minute replacement for Jack Evans who wasn't medically cleared to compete. This one was very fast-paced from the opening bell. There were a couple of unique moves here. Everett hit a nice-looking springboard corkscrew plancha to all of the opponents at ringside, and then, not to be outdone, Speedball climbed up to the cable, and while three of his opponents were in a lockup, almost looking like a scrum in rugby, he hit an ultimo weapon to all three. This guy is a great athlete, but he really has to watch some of these moves because he may one day injure himself or someone else. Trey then hit a super Canadian destroyer off the middle rope to Zane, which looked pretty crazy. The end came when four of the guys were hanging near the X. Bailey showed off his core strength by hitting some rapid fire kicks to King, I believe, while still hanging. This dropped King from his perch, and then Bailey head scissored Everett to the ground, and Everett looked like he landed with his legs on the rope, which did not look fun. Bailey and Austin were exchanging chops and slaps until Bailey ended the sequence with a kick to knock Ace off, and Bailey unhooked the belt, becoming the new X Division champion. Legendary WCW and Impact announcer Scott Hudson was the first of many surprises on this show. He served as backstage interviewer for the next segment and spoke to the members of Team Impact. Kaz had a very funny description of each guy on the opposing team, and Aldis quickly took everyone to school with his promo and proved that he is top-notch and among the very best in the business. A true main event-level talent is Nick Aldis. They teased who the fifth member of the team would be without actually revealing anything. The first of many tributes was up next as AEW Sting returned via video to talk about his time in the company. The Knockouts tag titles were on the line in the next match as the team known as The Influence, comprised of Madison Rain and Tennille Dashwood, the former Emma in the WWE, defended against Taya Valkyrie and Rosemary. Raywalt noted the miscommunication between Valkyrie and Rosemary right at the start and there was evidence of that throughout the match. There was a scary spot where the babyface team attacked the heels from opposite corners of the ring with spears, but as they landed, it looked like Madison and Tennille butted heads. In the end, it was Taya hitting Madison with a modified GTS, and Rosemary following up with what Angel Garza calls the wing clipper. I'm not sure what she calls it, but it earned her team the victory and the titles. Kurt Angle is in the next tribute video and provides his thoughts and memories from time spent in TNA. The Monsters Ball match was up next as Sammy Callahan took on Moose, and the interesting part of this match is that they actually showed footage of each guy locked in his room prior to the event without any food, water, or sunlight. They've always explained the rules for the match, but I believe this is the first time they've actually ever shown them in the rooms. Sammy sneak attacks Moose in the entranceway to get things underway. This match was very entertaining, and I liked that they told a decent story, and it wasn't just all blood and guts. Moose drives a trash can into the forehead of Sammy, which busts him open early. 
He then delivers a few uranagis, the first two into the ring apron, and then the third one through a table at ringside. There was a funny spot where Moose goes for a spear in the ring, but Sammy blocks it with a rubber trash can, and Moose actually goes halfway inside, and then Sammy proceeds to beat the can with a chair as Moose is still wearing it. Moose tries to scale the buckles, but he loses his footing and slips on his first attempt, and Hannafin covered this nicely, saying that Moose was still groggy from the chair shots. Moose tries the move again, but Sammy shoves him off the top rope through the timekeeper's table. Moose comes back with a sky high onto a pile of thumbtacks in the ring, and Sammy responds with a Death Valley driver through a barbed wire board propped up against the turnbuckles. I was cringing at all the multiple shots of the head with the trash can lids, but fortunately that sequence ended quickly. There was a nasty spot where Sammy powerbombed Moose off the middle rope right on top of a trash can that was set up vertically in the ring, and Moose looked like Homer Simpson when he had his back stretched out across the fire hydrant. From there, Sammy delivered a couple of shots with a barbed wire bat and finished him off with a package driver 97 for the win. The tag titles were defended next as the Good Brothers challenged the Briscoes. All four guys started brawling immediately after the bell rang, and the referee lost complete control. The Briscoes hit dual topes to the outside, and Mark followed up with a Cactus Jack elbow drop from the apron. Mark then channeled Sabu as he sprung off a chair and executed a somersault planche on both Good Brothers on the floor. The Good Brothers came back and attempted a magic killer on Mark, but Jay speared Anderson out of the play, and Mark almost caught Gallows with an inside cradle. Jay hit a high-angle running neckbreaker to Anderson out of a powerbomb from his brother Mark for a nearfall. The end came when Gallo shoved Mark off the top rope right into the gun stun from Anderson, leaving Jay to fight off both good brothers. Jay attempted the Jay Driller on Anderson, but Gallows blocked it with a super kick, and the brothers finally got the magic killer on Jay for the win and the titles. So we have our third title change of the evening. A little surprising that this one ended so clean, especially since the Briscoes didn't get too long a run. After the match, both teams squared off center ring as they are interrupted by the music of the reunited America's Most Wanted. Storm says that the two teams in the ring remind him of AMW and that they know how to do two things, fight and drink. Storm says that now that the fighting has stopped, it's time to drink, so all three teams started chugging beers to celebrate this anniversary. You know, Impact doesn't get enough credit for their production value. They put together a very nice video tribute to Don West and Mike Tenay up next, and then the announcers brought attention to the GoFundMe campaign for Don West, who is currently battling lymphoma. Christy Hemi is in the ring next, and I must say that after an almost 10-year absence, she still looks amazing. She introduces Impact GM Scott Damore, who comes out to the old Team Canada music and dressed in his old attire before joining the announcers on commentary. The 10-man tag team match is up next featuring Honor No More comprised of Eddie Edwards, Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, PCO, and Vincent against Team Impact consisting of Chris Saban, Alex Shelley, Nick Aldis, Frankie Kazarian, and a mystery partner. And as Kazarian makes his entrance, they show his wife Tracy and son Rebel at ringside seated next to the legendary referee Earl Hebner who just lost his twin brother Dave a few days earlier. Before the final participant is announced, former TNA president Dixie Carter comes out and thanks everyone for being a part of this event and keeping Impact alive with their continued support. Dixie then reveals the final member of Team Impact, which is Davey Richards, and I immediately didn't think this made any sense until I remembered that Davey's former partner, Eddie Edwards, was on the opposing team, and the whole match kind of built towards the showdown between the Wolves. 
There was a great spot in this match where there was a sequence of about 20 or so moves one right after the other, with Team Impact eventually getting the advantage. Kenny King came out and interfered, which also brought out D'Lo Brown in his Aces and Eights attire, who dropped King with a sky high and then a lowdown, and almost slipped off the ropes before finally completing the sequence. Maria hopped on the apron at one point trying to distract Saban, but Tracy jumped over the guardrail and took her out. And then the guns hit multiple super kicks on PCO in the end, and as Kaz hit the way of the future on Bennett, Shelly hit Taven on the other side of the ring with Shell Shock, which is essentially the same move, and then Saban finally hit PCO with a cradle shock. But referee Brian Hebner was down on the floor, so his father Earl jumped the rail and replaced his son in the match. I guess that's legal? And Earl took his own sweet time climbing into the ring to count the pin on PCO, who was hit by the cradle shock an eternity ago. In the most shocking surprise of the night, AJ Styles made a video appearance for the next tribute. He talked about his own memories and highlights from his time in TNA and thanked both the fans and WWE for allowing him to do this. The Queen of the Mountain match was up next as Tasha Steeles defended against Chelsea Green, Jordan Grace, Mia Yim, and Deanna Perrazzo with Mickey James as the guest enforcer. Chelsea and Deanna were working together throughout the match and the first pin came when Chelsea hit a flying crossbody to all of the opponents on the outside from the top rope and then Deanna came off the other side with a somersault allowing Chelsea to get the pin on the champion Tasha Steeles. At first Tasha refused to enter the penalty cage but Mickey threw her into Savannah Evans and forced both of them in there. Mickey later ejected Savannah from the match. Yim got the next pin on Chelsea with a bridging belly-to-back suplex, and as Chelsea entered the cage, she kicked the cage door into Mickey's face to add some fuel to the fire of their feud. There was a nice spot where Tasha stepped off Jordan's back on the top turnbuckle and hit a cutter to Yim off the ladder. Deanna then forced Tasha into submission with the rings of Saturn. Yim re-entered the match and delivered a dropkick from the top of the cage to Chelsea back in the ring, who fell backwards into a ladder propped up against the ropes. Yim then tried her best Shelton Benjamin impersonation by running up the ladder and executing a somersault plancha to opponents on the floor. She then hit a package pile driver outside and got a pin on Grace. It looked like Chelsea had victory well in hand until Mickey James entered the ring and pulled her off the ladder. Mickey then slid the belt to Yim. Deanna hit a nasty looking powerbomb to Yim on top of a ladder on the canvas and as both she and Chelsea climbed the ladder, Yim tipped it over and both women crashed through a table at ringside which didn't look pretty but ended up much better than it could have been considering their positioning. There was a dumb spot where Grace hit a move on Yim and got the pin but Steele snuck right on top of the pile and for some reason the referee ruled that both women are now eligible. Grace then hit a muscle buster to Steeles and got the final pin of the match, and with no one else in sight, Jordan Grace hooked the belt to become the new Knockouts champion. This match was a lot of fun, with a very unpredictable outcome. Gia is backstage and introduces the next surprise of the night, former TNA Knockout Goldilocks, who takes over and interviews Impact Hall of Famer Gail Kim about her memories of being an Impact. And this leads into the main event of the evening for the Impact World title with Josh Alexander defending the gold against Eric Young of Violent by Design. This match was very weird but pretty good at the same time. These guys pulled out about every throwback move imaginable. Alexander first tried a best moonsault ever but missed, allowing Young to hit the stroke for a near fall. Young then hit a black hole slam and Alexander responded with an STO and finally hit the BME. 
Alexander then nailed the Styles Clash and applied the ankle lock, but then Diener threw powder into the eyes of the official right as soon as Young started tapping. Alexander had to fight off Violent by design at this point. He first executed an angle slam to Doring off the apron through a table at ringside. And then as Diener challenged Alexander to fight him in the ring, with Diener waving around the VBD flag, Alexander reached under the ring and pulled out a Canadian flag, so they had a bit of a joust, which Alexander won. Alexander then grabbed a hockey stick, but Young blasted him in the face with a guitar, which busted him open. Young then once again exposed the ring canvas and drilled Alexander with a pile driver for a near fall. Alexander fought back and hit the C4 spike for the final three count to keep the title. So there you have it. That was Slammiversary. I will be back next weekend. It'll be another slightly delayed episode as I will only be able to watch the AEW Forbidden Door event Monday afternoon. Until we meet again, I'll leave you with an ABC. Ya.